Whatever may pass and hold. 
Let us pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning praising you for who you are, Lord. For all the many blessings that you've given us, we want to thank you this morning. Especially in this time of Thanksgiving that our country stops to, to worship you and to thank you for the blessings you've given our country. I, I just want to stop again and thank you. Thank you also for what you've done for our state, for our community, and for our church, Lord. And and now I just want to thank you for the blessings you've given us individually, and I just pray that you'll bless these offerings that we turn around and give back to you, that you'll use them for the furtherance of your kingdom. So we ask it in our name. Amen.
Thank you, Celia. Thanks, guys. Well, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good. Good time to be with family and safe travels, I hope, and then the opportunity to be back in, in God's house for worship this morning. We are in a, a preaching tour of the Bible, and we've come to the last book, the book of Revelation, so I guess that's all I've got after today. That'll be it. Um, and the challenge for me was to find the Christmas story in the book of Revelation. Uh, this is an odd Sunday. November began on Thursday, so Thanksgiving came a little early. So there's an additional Sunday in this month before we begin Advent. Advent doesn't really begin until next Sunday. So this is a, a fifth Sunday between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And this fifth Sunday, this last Sunday in November, gave me an opportunity to look at the book of Revelation for the Christmas story, and it's there. Believe it or not, Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, the sermon is entitled, The Battle Over Christmas. The Battle Over Christmas. It wasn't all tranquility and peace when Jesus was born. There was a battle being waged in the heavenly places, and the book of Revelation reflects that. And I'm just going to read this. Well, the whole 12th chapter really is, is about Jesus' birth, but I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6. The sermon is entitled, The Battle Over Christmas. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child, and she cried out in her pangs of birth in anguish for delivery. And another portent appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems upon his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which to be nourished for 1,260 days. And it goes on and describes the battle between the dragon and the woman and the child that was born and, and caught up into heaven. And, and uh, you can, if you, if you know this is, if you know the backdrop is the birth of Jesus, then you can see the battle being waged by Satan over his arrival into the world. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born and brought into this world despite the obstacles that Satan tried to cast in his path, you would not be thwarted. Your purpose for us could not be stopped. And his birth and life and death and resurrection meant for us forgiveness of sins and a relationship with you and everlasting life. Help us to remember that even now a battle is still being waged. And we need to be faithful soldiers of yours, fighting vigilantly with Jesus as our commander-in-chief. Of course, in his name we pray. Amen. I have heard a lot of sermons on Revelation. Let me tell you what I think. 
when I hear someone preaching the numbers and the colors and the animals literally mean what they say they mean, I'm thinking this guy's going to be in trouble before this sermon's over. The numbers, the figures, the characters, the colors, the animals, all those features of Revelation are symbolic. Let me tell you why. John is a prisoner while he's writing this revelation, as he calls it. It's, It's like a dream that he goes into the heavenly places and he repeats what he sees and he writes it down. He writes it down for encouragement to Jewish people, to Jewish Christians who are being persecuted. Now let me put you let me put you in John's position. John is a prisoner. He has been exiled on a tiny island called Patmos. We read about that in uh, the first chapter. Revelation 1 verse 9. I John your brother who share with you in Jesus the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So Towards the end of his life, John has been exiled by the authorities who have grown weary of his message of the gospel and his testimony of Jesus. They've exiled him out into the Mediterranean Sea, a little island called Patmos. I've actually been on this island on a a tour of Greece years ago, and I I put my hand on uh, this granite. It was a grotto in which John lived, kind of carved out into a granite outcropping, and, and I placed my hand on that, that piece of granite, and it was black from thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming where John had spent his final days and placed their hand there. And I looked out on the water surrounding the Isle of Patmos, and it was so smooth and glassy. It reminded me of what, what John wrote in Revelation 4, 6. Before the throne there is, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. You can stand on Patmos and just look out and see this smooth, glassy sea that John looked out and saw and thought about the throne of God in the middle of that, surrounded by the elders, singing praises to his name forever and ever. Okay, so John's on this island. He's an exiled prisoner, and he wants to communicate with the Jewish Christians who are being persecuted, but he knows everything he writes is going to be scrutinized and censored by his captors. So how does he write in such a way that the Jews will understand, but his, his guards will not? There was an ancient Jewish language called apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic language. And, and the Jews were familiar with that from the book of Daniel. If you read the Old Testament book of Daniel, you'll see a lot of a lot of figures and numbers and animals, just like it is in Revelation. The, the Jews understood this language. They understood what the numbers meant. The number seven means wholeness, completeness. So six is one less than whole. It means imperfection. You got the mark of the beast is what? Six, six, six. It represents triple incompleteness. The number 12 is wholeness. The number 10 is, is uh, number 12 is perfection, the number 10 is wholeness. You see, the numbers mean something, the colors mean something, the animals represent something. John's writing in this kind of language that the Jewish Christians would understand, but his Roman captors would not. They would let the material pass, the Jews would see it, they'd say, Oh, I see what John is saying here. The Romans would scratch their heads and figure, This is crazy. And they, wouldn't, they would not alter it. They would just let it go through. 
So John is writing, and he's writing this language about the birth of the Messiah in chapter 12. This is an odd passage. You don't usually think of a dragon being present at the birth of the Messiah, but he was. Let me, let me explain how. Verse 9, who was the dragon? Verse 9 tells us a little bit further down, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. At this, at this message, this Christmas, Christmas message of tranquility and peace, we get this message of a dragon who's standing before a woman who is in labor. Verse 3, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems upon his heads. So the fact that he had, he was, had seven heads and, and ten horns and, and crowns upon those heads, it represented that he had power here on earth. There's no doubt that Satan has power. And uh, this woman uh, who's standing before him, we'll go back to verse 1, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and she's in travail, she's in the pangs of labor, and she's going to give birth. This dragon, this red dragon we're told in verse 9 represents Satan, represents the devil, is lashing his tail, he's sweeping a third of the stars from the heavens. We know he's Satan, we know he is the devil, and he is out to destroy the one thing that threatens him the most. He's out to destroy this baby who is going to be born. Because Satan knows that if this child of God is delivered on earth, that his days are over, his days are numbered. And he's doing everything he can. This is like a great fulcrum in history. This is a, a great channel that comes together and, and, and God is reaching down to earth and Satan is doing everything he can like a, like a great dragon in anger, swishing its tail and sweeping stars out of heaven. And he is powerful. But here comes the woman. Verse 1, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of stars, obviously connected to the heavens. And she's told that she will give birth to a son, verse 5, a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. She's told that she will give birth to a son who will rule the world with a rod of iron. Who is this woman? Well, if it's the woman giving birth, you, you might assume it's Mary. But we're told later on in this passage, the last verse of this chapter, verse 17, the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Jesus. So the woman has offspring who keep the commandments of God and bear the testimony of Jesus. The woman represents the church. The woman represents the church. The church is the bride of Christ under the protection of God. Here is the dragon. Here is the woman. Here is the baby being born who will rule with a, an iron scepter, a rod of iron. It tells us he doesn't live long on the earth, but he's taken up to heaven to his throne, and the woman flees into the wilderness. There's a battle going on 
at Christmas. It began 2,000 years ago. When Jesus was, was being born, Satan was thrashing around like a great dragon is, is the portent, is the dream that John is communicating with us here. The woman's task is to bring forth the Messiah. Satan does not want the Messiah to be born. And you've got to realize that Satan didn't just attack the woman at his birth. Satan had been working on that from the very beginning of time. All you've got to do is go back to Matthew chapter 1, where you see Jesus' genealogy. And you see all the folks who were in the line of Jesus and, and realize the struggles that they had every time there was an issue. That was Satan trying to thwart the purposes of God, but he failed. You've got in the genealogy of Jesus, my good, Abraham and Sarah. You know how old they were when they had Isaac? There was Jacob. You remember the story of Jacob and Esau and the struggles they had. There was Joseph sold into slavery. There, were, there was Judah and Tamar, and you know that story. Rahab the harlot. There, were, there was Boaz and Ruth, all in Jesus' line. And you know how Ruth you know, came back um, with Naomi and, and uh, bore a son. There was Saul. You remember the struggle between Saul and David? There was Bathsheba with David, all in Jesus' line. And so many points along the, the genealogy of Jesus, all before Jesus ever came, Satan was doing everything he could to prevent Jesus' birth. But he failed over and over again. Well, well where was Satan at Jesus' birth? He was there. Where was the dragon at Jesus' birth? Matthew 2, 8. I'm going to start at Matthew 2, 7. Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, verse 8, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him too. The dragon was working through Herod, wasn't he? That was, that was Satan at work afraid of this child who was going to be born. And when Herod realized he had been deceived, what did he do? He, he had all the male children two years of age and younger in the region of Bethlehem killed. That was an act of evil. That was Satan at work trying to prevent the Christ child from being born. Here he is raging it says here, standing in front of the woman who was about to deliver, trying to devour the child, and yet the dragon failed all through Jesus' genealogy. The dragon failed when Jesus was born. This is a Christmas story from a, a little bit different perspective. It, Jesus was not born in a vacuum. That's why the, the gospel writers are very careful to give you the history and the people and the genealogy and and, and the events that were going on around Jesus, when Jesus came, he was born into a real world, and Satan was at work in the world, and Satan had been at work up until the time of Jesus' birth, and, and he gave it his best effort at the birth of Jesus to prevent this Son of God from being born into the world, but he failed. This is the dragon who stood before the woman and tried to prevent her from bringing forth the Son of God. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. The dragon stood before the woman, verse 4, who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. But she brought forth a male child 
one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. How does that sound for a pleasant little Christmas story? It's not the, not the common thing we hear on Christmas Eve, is it? And we think of the beauty and the peace and the tranquility of Christmas. But there's a whole different side that's going on when Jesus is being born. God is coming into our world and Satan is not on the sidelines when that happens. He is, he is pitching, as we say in the South, he is pitching a fit, doing everything he can to prevent the purposes of God. And he failed. These, this is the issue that's at stake when Jesus is born, when the Son of God is born. But what I want you to see is the beauty of the gospel message as this baby who was born to peasants in a manger, in a feed trough, is stronger than a dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on those horns. This baby is the dragon slayer. How cool is that? That's, that's what God is all about. Slaying the dragon, defeating evil. The dragon knows his days are numbered. It reminds me of those old western movies where the gunslingers come up and one says, this town isn't big enough for the both of us. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying to Satan. He is born into the world and he says, this earth isn't big enough for the both of us. And Satan is destroyed. Satan is dead. The child wins. The baby is victorious. But that's not the end of the story. Satan knows his days are numbered, but he does not go down without a fight. Verse 5, she brings forth a male child who is to rule all the nations, but the child is caught up to God and to his throne. Then it says, uh, the woman flees the church into the wilderness. That's where we are now, where she has a place prepared by God. We are under God's protection. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church in which to be nourished 1,260 days. That number is symbolic of a, a perfect time that God has us under his protection and watch care. Satan is still attacking. Satan has not given up. Evil is still rampant in the world. But God says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Remember verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down, he pursued the woman who had borne the male child. Satan is still attacking. He's making war with us. And you know that. I don't have to tell you that evil is knocking at the door, that Satan is doing everything he can to destroy you, to harm you, to hurt you, to, to destroy the church, to do everything he can to oppose it. He is, he is trying to create as much havoc and chaos as he possibly can in this world. And we will be a part of this battle as long as we are on the earth. You are at war. That's what the message of, of Christmas tells us. We are at war against the evil one. And you have to be vigilant. Some of you, let's be honest, aren't fighting on the front lines anymore. Some of us have, have taken a siesta and are kind of sitting on the sidelines. But Satan is attacking, and if you are on Jesus' side, there is a battle that's being waged. 
But God has prepared you to fight it. Do you remember the end of Ephesians? Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why does Paul write those things? Unless we are in spiritual warfare right now. Unless Satan is attacking us and, and, we, and we have at our disposal everything we need, not only to be protected from him, but also to vanquish him. Because God is with us. Just because this dragon in Revelation is pictured in a symbolic way, do not make the mistake of thinking that he is some kind of mythological creature. Let me say that again. Just because Satan is pictured here in Revelation symbolically, do not be fooled into thinking this is, he's just a mythological creature. Evil is alive. Satan is alive and real in this world. And his purpose is to oppose anything that God is doing. But he cannot ultimately win. The battle is the Lord's. The war has been won. But Satan is going to continue fighting. Fighting on. Even though he knows his doom is sure. So how is that for a happy sermon to kick off the Christmas season with? I just wanted you to know that Christmas represents a battle. Merry Christmas. Oh, and by the way, there's a dragon trying to stop the birth of Jesus and every purpose of God ever since. Every purpose of God in your life. Satan's not lying back, letting it happen. You, you can better believe it. And the more serious you get with God, the deeper you are in relationship with him, the stronger Satan's going to fight. If Satan's not attacking you right now, there might be a problem. It might be because he thinks he has you in his hip pocket. You might need to stand up this Christmas and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm on Jesus' side. I fight for Jesus. And Satan, you have no power over me. And then you'll begin to feel his wrath. And then you'll begin to feel what he will attempt to do against you. But Jesus has won the battle. I heard a story from World War II that came from the Battle of the Bulge. The Germans um, surrounded and captured an American fighting unit. And as the German officer was going through their possessions, took them prisoners, uh, took custody of what they had, as they were going through their possessions, this German officer was surprised to find a cake in one of their boxes. And you might think, well, why is that so important? Well, the cake was fresh. The cake came from Boston, and the American soldiers had it. And you know what that German officer realized? He realized right then that we cannot, he said, he, he realized we cannot win a war against a nation that has these resources, that has the resources to ship a cake from Boston to Europe and do so in a timely way. And it's fresh. And that German officer was right because they were beginning to realize the determination and the resources and the strength 
of the American people behind the forces of World War II. Satan knows the same thing. He knows when we stand together as a church of Jesus Christ. Jesus predicted in the confession of Simon Peter at Caesarea Philippi that on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So Satan knows that he's going to fail. But I want you to know that this stealthy dragon is creeping around and he's seeking whom he may devour, what lives he might destroy. And at Christmas time, there is there's, there's such a, a wonderful feeling of, of peace and of God's presence and his power in the world. And, and it's, it's, it's overwhelming. I, I feel it the most at the Christmas Eve service. And it's just, it just, it just lifts you up to a higher plane. But I don't want that to, to cause you to lapse into becoming complacent. Because it's that very moment that Satan is working the hardest to attack you, to bring you down, to cause you to stumble. So you can never relax. You can never allow yourself to fall asleep. You have to be vigilant. You have to be ready. You need to put on the whole armor of God that you might be protected against the onslaught of the evil one who has not given up and who will never give up until Jesus comes again. The war is over. The battle is won. But our enemy is still trying everything he can to take as many people down with him as possible. So you have to be ready. If you belong to Jesus, you cannot lose. That's whom we worship at Christmas. But the dragon is still trying. So be on your guard. Be wary, be vigilant, be ready. Don't ever relax. It's a spiritual battle, and he's doing all he can through his evil, demonic ways to do you harm. He's the source of evil in this world, not God. It's Satan, and he attacks those the most who love God. And that battle comes to a head every year at Christmas. Let's bow together. <clears throat> Father, I, I guess we do kind of get lulled into a false sense of security and complacency, especially at Christmas. Because the, the sense of your presence is so prevalent around us, there's a sense of peace and well-being and love and harmony that prevail at Christmas. And yet, at the same time, I'm aware at Christmas there are those who are depressed and those who are struggling and those who are hurting. And it's because Satan is his fiercest attacks the hardest when and wherever you are most present. 
trying to stop whatever good you will to do in this world. I thank you that he has already failed, even though he has not given up. So help us who wage war with Jesus to be vigilant, to be prepared, to be prayed up, to be wary of this dragon who is creeping around, seeking those whom he may destroy and devour. Let us never become prideful, but look to you for protection and for power and for peace in the relationship that can only come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing an invitation hymn this morning to give you the opportunity to respond to God's claim on your life. Whatever it might be, professing your faith, rededicating your life, joining this this fellowship of believers. We are here standing with Jesus. We are under his watch care, his protection, and his guidance. There is nothing to fear because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, but he is still in the world.